0: All right, we got an awesome weekend here planned. I want to share with you something that is on my heart. You know, Pastor Jeremy has been walking us through this series called Bible Stories. And over the last couple of weeks, we've heard two incredible stories found in Scripture. And I don't necessarily like calling them stories because then we think it's like fables, right? We think that someone wrote something awesome and we can learn something from it. No, these are actual historical accounts that were written in the Word of God. So when we learn that there was an army commander named Naaman who was a leper who got healed by the, got by God through the instructions of the prophet Elisha, that wasn't just a story. That was a biblical historical account in which we get to see the word of God. When we read just last week when we got to see the jailer and Paul and Silas and the miracles that took place with that that is a biblical historical account those are things that I read that just jump off at the page to me when I'm reading them because it's like wow my God is faithful my God hears me when I pray my God responds to my worship my God is amazing And so what I want to do, because often when we read through a story in the Bible or we hear a message, we only have about 25 minutes to share with you the picture that we're trying to get across. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a deeper look, because I believe that these two stories answer something that you and I go through on a regular basis. There are two things that you and I encounter regularly, and that is opposition... And that is opportunity. Anyone here never been had an experience with opposition? Right? You guys are honest. You know, you, you have experience. I have been your opposition in the past. <laughs> Anyone ever here never had an opportunity in your life? Never. No. Right? Because we've all had opportunities. We've all experienced opposition. And I believe that these accounts in the Word of God. Can show us such a great lesson when it comes to this. So, we got these two ideas that I want to wrestle with today. And the first is this when opposition becomes, when opposition becomes opportunity. So, that's one thought that I want to look at. But the next thought I want to look at is when opportunity becomes opposition. I believe these are two things that if we can really lean and look at it, I believe that God can do an awesome work in us. But first, I want to look at number one situation, when opposition becomes opportunity. And I want to use Paul and Silas for this, the exact same scripture story that Pastor Jeremy shared last week. You know, in, in verse chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, it says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer... So if we're going back to this story, and feel free, get your Bibles out, get your Bible app open. But Paul and Silas, it was a normal day. How many of y'all woke up before and just thought you were going to have a normal day, right? You're going to be going about something good. You've got things planned. Maybe it's for good things. Maybe it's for God things. Like, you are doing something awesome today. But then, bam, right? You are hit with opposition, Well, that's what happens with paul and silas one day as we were going down to the place of prayer y'all ever had any opposition coming to church my opposition has not been in the back seat of my car and its name is levi (laughs) all right if you're a parent in the room sometimes we get some opposition on those early sunday mornings but others maybe there is a physical obstacle maybe there's a spiritual obstacle in front of us but these guys were on their way to the place of prayer where they go all the time And we know from the story that there is a, a young woman who is demonically oppressed, who is a servant girl who has the ability to tell the future. And the men that owned her, which was completely wrong, but the men that owned this servant girl made lots of money. They exploited her and her gift that she had under the demonic oppression to be able to foretell the future. And so what ends up happening is this woman just trolls physically paul and silas she follows them around she's yelling and expressing and exclaiming things and causing a rucket. and then finally after a couple days now i gotta applaud the apostle paul because for me my impatient fuse is like that right some of you are like i done what a like right in the beginning he waited several days and finally he's like i can't take it anymore But he recognized that it wasn't just her that was bothering him. He recognized there was something deeper. Sometimes we look at people and we just think, that person's bothering me. And we don't recognize that there could be something attached to that situation, attached to that person that is the real issue. And so the apostle Paul looked at her and said, in the name of Jesus, you come out. Devil, come out. And she was released of demonic oppression. Well, with that, she could no longer tell the future. And so here, the men that owned her were completely upset because now money is gone. They're exploiting this woman and now their financial line of income is gone from her. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them to the officials. And all of a sudden this mob starts forming. So let's pick up here. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they did not escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stalks. Now I want you to see this real quick. The jailer was given instructions that your job you are ordered to is so that these guys don't escape. So the jailer made the decision to take them to the inner dungeon and to shackle their ankles. And I want to show you, they were put into stalks. Now, stocks weren't just a thing to keep you captive. Stocks were actually an instrument of torture as well as confinement. They were made of wood bound with iron with holes for the feet, which were stretched more or less apart according to the severity intended. So these, these stocks would be used to separate and stretch your body beyond means of comfort. Though jailers were proverbially unfeeling, meaning they were known for being unfeeling. The manner in which the order was given, in this case, would seem to warrant all that was done. So what does that fancy stuff mean? That means to the jailer, it's just business. It's not personal. It's not personal. It's just business. He's just doing his job. So he may not have any emotional attachment to you. He's just carrying out orders. Now, I remember a movie from when I was younger that I absolutely loved called You've Got Mail. If you've seen this movie, will you raise your hand? Oh, we're aging ourselves, friends. You've Got Mail. I'm going to do one even better. How many of you have ever had an AOL account? You've Got Mail, right? How many of you still have an AOL account? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) My mom raised her hand. (laughs) AOL. Well, this movie is based on this. And what's so great about this movie is that Tom Hanks is this superstore bookstore owner. He owns a chain of superstore bookstores. He's like the Barnes and Noble times a million, the superstore across the nation. And Meg Ryan is this cute, awesome little owner of a bookstore called The Shop Around the Corner. What happens is Tom Hanks' company moves in on the corner. And what happens when a big ol' store comes into the neighborhood of a little itty bitty charming store? That store went out of business. What ends up happening is Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are in the same room and he tells her, it wasn't personal, it was just business. Meaning my company came in and it shut yours down and those are just ramifications of me coming in town. It's not personal, it's just business. And I love what Meg Ryan's character says. She goes, why do people say that? Right? Why, why, I hate when people say that. Because it's personal to me. It's personal to me. And so I want to paint the picture that for the jailer, it was not personal. For the jailer, he's just doing what he did every day, which was execute the orders in which he has been given, whether it was confinement, whether it was torture, he carried out his orders. But for Paul and Silas, I believe that this could have been incredibly personal. The opposition that came against them, number one, was unwarranted. It was also illegal what was happening to them. They were in front of officials no legal court experience no saying anything before a judge or an official they were stripped down from their clothes beaten in public and then taken to an inner dungeon without ever being able to state their case now can i ask you something personal the same question i've asked myself am i personally offended by opposition because see there's opposition that comes at us that just happened It wasn't intentional, but the opposition has come. Do we take that personal? Now, other times there's intentional opposition, whether it be spiritual or the enemy's coming against you to stop whatever God has planned for you, or perhaps it's the negligence of someone else and it's a car accident. It's opposition. Am I personally offended by opposition? Because the tricky thing with offense is that there's really not forgiveness in offense. In offense, we allow our hurt to take deep roots in us. And if we're not careful with the offenses and the emotions that we're experiencing when we've been faced with opposition, that offense can easily turn to bitterness when it's not treated. And Hebrews warns us, do not let that bitter root of bitterness take root in you, because that can cause all kinds of trouble. But I think of Paul and Silas and I think of the beaten bodies. I think of the stalks on their feet. And I got to say, I would be a little bit offended. Not even a little bit. I would be really offended that that just happened to me. But we know how they responded to that offense. We, Pastor Jeremy shared with us last week that they praised and worshipped. They prayed to their God. They sang songs and hymns in the middle of being shackled in stocks. In fact, this is what happens because of their worship. It says the jailer woke up, right? Because there's an earthquake. We know that their worship and their prayer resulted in God bringing an earthquake. The whole entire jail shakes. All of the stocks on all of the prisoners' feet come off. Their arms are no longer shackled. The jail doors to their individual cells are now open. And the jailer wakes up to this. You ever woken up in the middle of an earthquake? You ever woken up to fireworks? Because my goodness gracious, Las Vegas does crazy fireworks. And you're like, what is going on? You ever been startled? Can you imagine what this jailer was waking up to? And as he wakes up in the middle of the chaos, he sees that the prison doors are wide open and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Now hear this. The jailer called for the lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Cyrus. I want us to see this. How did Paul know that this jailer was going to kill himself? The jailer called for lights. Somebody bring me the lights. The jailer could not physically see who was in what cell. In fact, because of what he was not able to see, he assumed that everyone had escaped. Now, I don't know about you, but when there's chaos and there's more than one person in the room, there's usually not silence in chaos. How did Paul know? Was everyone so shooken by the loosening of the chains and the opening of the doors that they politely waited in silence? Did Paul hear the sword coming out on the ground Maybe he heard a cry out. How did Paul know? And this is what's so amazing to me because Paul was the victim. Paul and Silas were the ones that were illegally and wrongfully accused and held captive. And this amazing earthquake takes place. But what I'm about to share with you is to give us an eye-opening idea that the miracles that take place in the result of my worship and my prayer may not just be for me. God moving on behalf of my tears, God moving on behalf of my cries, on my intercession, may reach the lives of people that we deem undeserving, may reach those who have physically opposed my life, my call, right? My dreams, my plans. You never know. How did Paul know? I choose to believe that it was a supernatural act of God that Paul was able to know that that jailer was going to kill himself, even that he was able to care in that moment that that jailer was going to kill himself. Think about that. Why did Paul care? Now, hear me. We have seen in scriptures before that, and in testimonies throughout historical accounts that if a prisoner had escaped, that that jailer would be found responsible and his life would be taken away. He would be executed. But think about it. If I'm praying and I am beaten and I am worshiping and in this moment, my shackles fall off and that door is open. We remember the story, Peter ran, right? Same thing happened to Peter. Peter got the heck out of there. But now you've got Paul and Silas and all of a sudden something tells him, stay stay. Have you ever wondered that your freedom isn't just for your freedom? That your freedom can be used to set somebody else free. What will we do with our freedom? Why did Paul care? This is why I believe Paul cared. Because Paul, number one, was in tune to the Holy Spirit. Paul had given his life, even with me as Lindsay, I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago in August. I was saved in August of 2002, and I have been walking imperfectly but faithfully for the last 20 years. And in that, I have realized day after day, month after month, year after year, that I'm a Christ follower before I'm anything else. Before I'm Lindsay, (laughs) I'm a daughter of God. Before I'm Jeremy's wife, I'm a daughter of God. Before I'm a mom to Levi, before I'm your pastor, before I'm any, before I'm a white woman, I am, with not real blonde hair, by the way, guys, this is, this is colored. Jeremy found that out the hard way. We got married. You had to pay for it to keep looking like this. This is not real. (laughs) Before I am all this inside and out, I am a follower of Jesus. And I believe that Paul got that I believe that Paul said, Lord, I give my life in service to you in times that I am opposed, in times that I am catapulted forward, in times that people are for me, in times that people are against me, in times that my freedom is questioned, in times when my shackles are off and I can dance. Lord, I am in service to you, to you. And so why did Paul care? Because God made him care. God positioned his life to care because check this out. He ran and he fell to his knees and he said, he brought them out. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, so many times we read this story and we think it's about Paul and Silas and a response to worship. Maybe it was about his salvation. Maybe all of it was for just that man and that household. You and I have such a limited perspective on things. I'm gonna date myself again. How many of y'all have seen the movie Vantage Point? It's an old action movie. Yes, thank you, Joe, in the room. Thank you, Jimmy, right? I had a good dad. He showed me some great movies. But that whole movie was all about how you see something from different vantage points that your one view of something is a limited view. And had you been standing over here, you would have seen the thing unfold completely different. And that is what was happening when we are reading God's word. That's what happens. We have a one vantage point and we have to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing in this? Because the prisoner's vantage point would be my worship and God responded and now I'm free. But the Holy Spirit's vantage point was, but there's a jailer who I've been working on. There's a man in that dungeon who has been handpicked by me that I'm gonna call child of God. It's huge. What happened? Opposition became opportunity. But Paul had the choice to participate. We can't forget that. Paul had the choice to participate. You and I, every single day, are going to be given the opportunity to participate in anything that God is doing, to be in the moment. we'll talk about that in a minute. What happens here now as we read, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. See that? God was giving him vision for more. Now God is stirring up things in Paul that maybe it's not just about the, the jailer. No, the Lord's speaking to him and he's saying, I believe your whole household is going to be saved. It's a ripple effect of obedience. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in the household, even at that hour of night. Remember, it was midnight. And now all these shenanigans happen. And now they got to go to his house. So this could be two, three o'clock in the morning. The jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Can I tell you how good God is? That a person that opposes you at daytime Maybe lovingly reaching out to you at nighttime. And are we open to that? Because the only difference is not that person. The difference is that God moved. God can take your opposition to opportunity like that. And are we willing to participate? Then he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into the house and he set a meal before them. Again, your opposition, now you're breaking bread with them. And Jesus set the most perfect example in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even accounts in John will read that Jesus ate at the tables of sinners, tax collectors, people who were so repulsive to the Jewish people, to the religious people. Jesus sat with them. Why? Because you never know what household you're going to make a difference in. And you never know who God is going to call you to, even if a moment before they were opposing you. And so they have this meal and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. We know this story because Pastor Jeremy shared it. They went back to the jail and then got released. Wow! I want to share with you something because as I'm speaking about opposition and that God can move in that right, God can change what was an enemy not to a friend of me. Okay, sometimes we think, okay, you're going to go to an enemy, to a friend of me, to an acquaintance. No, no, no. It literally goes from enemy to brother or sister in Christ. That's the title. Us, we like to put labels on people or describe the situation. No, 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 no. What just happened was the opposition now became a part of the family because God chose them. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I promise you all, we're gonna be shocked as heck when we get to, get to heaven and be like, you made it, right? And they're gonna be looking at you like, you made it? Like, it's just, it's gonna be amazing but I want to share with you as we're talking about this opposition and hear me, there's things that oppose us all day long. It's important to see that it's possible to keep your boundaries and not burn bridges. It is possible for you to maintain every conviction that you have. It is possible in many cases for you not to sway from your beliefs, from your values. Pastor Jeremy taught us, us that in boundaries that I don't have to build a wall, I can build a fence. So this fence separates us because I have different convictions, values, lifestyles, beliefs, all of that. And, and you have a whole other set. But it doesn't mean that one day well, God won't call for a bridge in which a person can walk over. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a bridge builder. I wanna be authentically, uniquely Lindsay, child of God but she's also a bridge builder, not a bridge burner. It's possible. Just know it. Whoever you're hating on today could be someone you're sharing a heavenly meal with when we get to heaven, okay? Or even on this earth. Next. It all boils down to this question. Do we believe that God changes lives? Do we believe it? Do we believe that God changes lives? And hear me, Paul believed it because Paul lived it. And I want to take you to a portion of scripture. It's towards the end of Acts. And again, Paul, being wrongfully accused for preaching the gospel and all these things, ends up going about as high as you can go in the Roman court. And he begins to plead his case before them. But in pleading his case, he's sharing the gospel. And he's sharing his story about how God handpicked him and how he became a Christ follower. And so... Let's read this. Paul said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazarene. Indeed, I, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, he had marching orders. He had legal orders to oppose those who believed in Jesus. He said, indeed, I did that just in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there To be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Do you know about Stephen the martyr? Stephen who was chosen by the apostles to be a waiter, to physically wait on the orphan or the widows, excuse me, the widows in that time. He was serving food and preaching the gospel at the same time. And Paul was one of the votes that said he deserves to die. And Stephen was stoned to death. This was Paul's life. He said, Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus, meaning I pushed them to their breaking point. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down during, for- or in foreign cities. He hunted Christ followers, and yet here he is, someone who believes that God can change lives. Another question that we need to ask is, do we believe that salvation is available to all people or to just some people? Do we believe that salvation is available to all people or to just some people? And hear me, I know there's a lot of different families of origin in this place. I know that many were raised different ways, some with hateful, divisive speech, some with entitlement, some with superiority. Some you were raised completely opposite of that. You were raised to be inclusive, and something happened along the lines where this was robbed, taken away, chipped away from something that you grew up knowing. And I think today is a great day to say, Lord, your entire New Testament proclaims that all people can be saved. That you can do whatever you want with whomever you want at any time you want to. And my personal preferences sometimes are our private discriminations, Mm -mm. God shows no favoritism. He has no measuring system. He has life and death, heaven and in hell. He has eternity in mind and he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting And I know that a lot of things that go on in our world can make this tainted, can fade the idea that God can save anyone, that all people salvation is available to. Let's not let our heart get faded in that. Paul went on to say, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useful, it is useless, excuse me, useless for you to fight against my will. It's useless. He says, who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now remember, this is after Jesus had already ascended to heaven. And so here is Paul with marching orders to go kill Christians and imprison and persecute in this region. And Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, not today. I've got other plans for you, Saul of Tarsus. And a light shines, he gets knocked off his horse, and he hears the audible voice of God. And Jesus says, now get up to your feet, for I have appeared to you and to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Can I tell you something? We have no authority on who God appears or who he appoints. And a lot of times we think that we have a say in that. I have no legal say to who God appears to and who God appoints. Now as a leader, I might help mature that person along. That's what happened to Paul. He had had a Barnabas in his life. He had an Ananias in his life that came alongside him, mentored him, loved him. But even they had to get over their personal discrimination and fear of him because God appointed, because God appeared. And it's none of my business why he did it. He may reveal it to me later, but it's not my responsibility. It's not my choice. It's his. He says, tell the people that you have seen me Tell them what I will show you in the future, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. See, God was doing a new thing. Not just that some people can be saved, but all people can be saved. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So we're looking at all these questions, right? <laughs> we're asking, do I believe that God changes his lives? And then, am I opinionated on whose lives can be changed, right? But then the question lies this, is God moving? And do I want to be a part of it? See, I look at Paul and Silas, and supernaturally, they just knew God was moving. It wasn't just because of the earthquake. It wasn't just because the shackles, because none of that pointed to a jailer. It pointed to freedom. But it was about his spiritual freedom. It's amazing. Is God moving? And do I want to be a part of him? So here is my prayer for our church, right? The prayer for Avenue. And I know that everyone who calls Avenue home isn't in this room today. I know that the prayer that I have isn't just for us who are online and listening and tuning in and engaging. It's not just for those that are in the room, but it's those who God is going to bring here that we would all get this heart. That God, when you're moving, I wanna partner with that. God, when you are up to something, I wanna be up to the same thing. Even if I saw it as opposition, show me it as opportunity. That our hearts would always be surrendered to Him. So how can we do what Apostle Paul did? Because hear me, we're not him. He, I can't even imagine the weight that he carried from the life that he lived before Jesus. And I understand the struggle for people when lives could be so dark and broken, and then they come to know Christ. And we're told that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, and that is true, that God doesn't remember our sins He doesn't hold that against us. When he looks at us, he sees spotless, blameless, clean, all because of Jesus in us. That's what he sees. But some of us still carry on such heavy burdens of what we used to do or what we used to be. And hear me, I'm praying that God reconciles that. Paul often saw that reconciled in his suffering. He was so willing to suffer for Jesus because he caused a whole lot of suffering. And so that was a way in which he leaned in and he felt close to God, but hear me, he never projected that to be everybody's story. And so whatever God is doing in us individually, can't we come together to be a big part of the big picture of what God is doing? So even though we're not Paul and we don't have Paul's story, We don't have his motivations. We don't have his family of origin. We don't have his experiences. What we do have is the same Jesus. What we do have is the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, who resurrected him, lives in you and I. That spirit has no favoritism. So it wasn't just for the apostle Paul. It wasn't just for Silas. And the fruit of it wasn't just for the jailer. It's for you and I today. So this is what we can learn to do. We can learn to be people of prayer, to pray and hear me, not just in good times, but all times. The Bible tells us to be praying continually without stopping. It means God's a part of my everyday and I'm constantly talking to him in worship, in worship, that my lifestyle worships him. My mouth worships worships him, my actions, my thoughts, all of me. My life is a sacrifice of worship. But also, this is where I think we have a lot of a hard time. We don't know how to be present because we're just moving on to the next thing so quickly, right? I'm in the grocery store to get the things that I need, not just for today, I need them for tomorrow and the next week. And I'm I'm planning, I'm planning, I'm planning, right? We're always so quick to move to the next thing. Can we just be present? Can you imagine what it took for Paul and Silas to be present in the jail? you are in pain. Miracle just happened in freedom. And yet they were present. God, what are you doing? And can I be a part of it? And then once you are aware of what's happening, this is where your actions have a choice. Choose to be faithful. We're not going to get it right every time. I have not gotten it right every time. But God, when you're moving and I recognize it and you want me to be a part of it, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Amen, amen, amen. We don't have time to talk about when opportunity becomes opposition. We'll do that some other time. But would you stand so I could pray over you today? You know, the word of God is never meant to condemn anybody. If we ever feel something like, "Ooh, that's not right, that's conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that just means that God's spirit sees that, ah, there's room for growth. There's room for change. And so when I hear a a word like this where I'm like, ooh, is my heart a little bit discriminating? Am I exclusive when I'm supposed to be inclusive with salvation? Like, What is that? Those are opportunities for God to be moving in my heart to become more like Jesus. So don't ever let someone, the enemy, tell you that you can't grow or that you are always stuck in a thought process or wait. No, God is always moving and we can be a part of it. So what I'd love to do is pray for you today. If you're in this room and you are saying, yes, Lindsay, I want to be able to see when God is moving because I want to partner with that. Would you pray for me to be able to see to be able to notice when God is moving. If that is you and you'd like me to pray for you, would you raise your hand? I want to see when you're moving, Lord. I want to see when you're moving and I want to be a part of it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm gonna pray for you first, dear Heavenly Father. Just keep your hands up, even, even in surrender. That God, I am free. My hands are not shackled. I am not bound. I have the liberty to live my life however I want. But Father, in your goodness, you've called me to better. In your faithfulness, you've called me to live a life for you. So with my freedom, Lord, I am asking you, show me when you're moving. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give new eyes in this room. God, give us fresh sight to be able to see the things that you are doing. I also pray, Father, that where there is a lack of confidence in our lives, to be able to see those things, hear those things, be a part of those things. I pray that you would speak to your child and say, have courage. I've called you to be a part of this. So I pray that a lack of confidence would not rule and reign in any heart in this room or any of those that are online right now. It would not rain, Father, but we would be able to hear, we'd be able to see, and we would be confident, Father, that you want us to partner with you when you are moving. I want to see you, Lord. I want to be a part of it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray one more prayer, one more prayer. If you are here and you are currently going through some opposition, and it's taking a toll. And you're like, I need God to move in this opposition. Would you raise your hand? Because I'd like to pray for you. Raise your hand. Yes. OK. Why? Would you friends look around? Keep your hands up. If you have someone with their hand up, would you put your hand on their shoulder? Right? Put your hand on their shoulder. And we're going to pray for this, OK? OK. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have not left us to do things alone. I thank you, Father, that there is not one thing that we are walking through, that you are unaware of what we're going through. And our word tells us that when we come together, when two or three are in agreement and whatever we ask on this earth will be done in heaven, we are asking you, Father, to show your will through this opposition, to bring comfort, to bring provision. To some, God may say, I need you to hold on a little longer. For others, it may be today is the day that the oppression ends today is the day that the opposition is getting kicked to the curb but for some God may say I need you to hang on there because I'm doing a work and when you endure and when you are faithful and when you don't give up I'm able to complete the work in you I'm not using this to hurt you I'm using this to help you I ask father if there's unforgiveness if there's places of of, places that need to be healed Lord that you would show us Whether you're going to heal us instantaneously now, or for some of you, you may need to have a life-giving conversation with someone to walk you down a path of healing. But regardless of how we get there, Lord, you're with us in it, and you're going to see us through it. So we thank you. Thank you that you are an overcomer and that you've called us to be overcomers. In Jesus' name, come on. Amen and amen and amen.